So in last week's sermon, we looked at the role of a husband within a marriage. And we saw that his primary calling is to love and to lead his wife. And by no means is that an easy calling. With leadership comes responsibility, and with responsibility comes culpability uh, if things are not functioning well. It's also difficult because the, the standard of love that God has given for husbands towards their, li- towards their wives is none less than the love of Christ towards His bride, that is, His church. But I also mentioned last week that you were only getting half of the story. Marriage is between two people, and wives also have a very special calling and essential role within marriage. They don't simply sit back as the recipients of their husband's love and leadership and and do nothing on their parts. God has called them to a very special and essential role. And in our modern world, with the current views of gender and marriage being largely anti-biblical, a wife needs to be especially aware of her role and careful to not be swayed by the lies of the times that we live in. Paul specifically warns women in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days there will be people who will creep into households and capture gullible or weak women with their vain philosophies and lies leading them away from the truth. And boy, do our times have a lot of lies that are seeking to capture women. You're wasting your potential by staying home with the children. A family is going to slow you down. Children will wreck the budget. Submitting to your husband is equivalent to oppression. A full and satisfying life is found when you live life for you. Men and women are created exactly the same. Femininity is is weak and pathetic. Times have changed. It's 2024. And unfortunately, too many women have have drank this Kool-Aid that has been offered to them. And the effects of it are are devastating on society. And so a sermon like, like this, the one that I'm going to preach this morning, is very important. You know, if you want to combat the lies of the age, if you don't want to be a a gullible and and weak woman who is drawn after uh, always learning but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth, if you want to flourish according to how God has designed you as a wife, the answers are found in God's Word and His plan for a beautiful and rich marriage. And so this morning, that is our goal. We are to to look at the roles of wives in marriage and hopefully offer some practical advice on how you can better walk in that role. And just as I said with husbands, uh, I do hope to expose some sin that might be present in your life. I do hope to to challenge you, even if it it might be hard, what I'm going to say. And my goal is, is not to condemn you in your failings, but to convict you. The beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that now, because of what he has done on the cross, we are free. We are are free to humbly admit our faults before God, knowing that because of Jesus' death, we will receive mercy and grace and forgiveness from God, not condemnation. 
And so you don't have to sit here this morning and, and candy coat your sins. You don't have to, to make excuses for your failings, to, to put up your defenses and blame your, your husband, blame your husband for your own behavior or, or to wallow in your shortcomings. No, we are free and we are forgiven and we need to humbly let the Spirit and the Word search out our hearts this morning so that He can conform you more and more to the nature of His glorious Son. And so looking now at the roles, duties, and responsibilities of wives, I've narrowed it down to, to three things. And those three things are uh, the, the role of a wife is to help, to submit, and to respect. To help, to submit, and to respect. And we're going to be looking at two passages this morning uh, where uh, the Lord uh, communicates to us uh, those points for our wives. And so the first one is Genesis chapter 2, verses 12 to 25. I think I said in the very first sermon that we were going to be spending a lot of time in Genesis chapter 2, uh, and uh, this is why. Genesis 2, verses 12, or verses 15 to 25. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's the first passage we're going to look at. The second one you can turn now in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Should have probably had this earlier. Verses 22 to 24 and then down at verse 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then down in verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
And so as I said before, and as you can see in these passages, it's, it's quite clear that the role of a wife in marriage is to help, to submit, and to respect her husband. But before we get into each of these, I think it's important that I address two things quickly right off the start. First thing is this. Uh, I am aware that in the past and in the present and in the future, teachings on the role of women in marriage have been abused. Men in particular have taken the the teachings of Scripture and have expanded them beyond the biblical parameters, and, and many women have suffered deeply as a result of that. And if that is you, if you've experienced that, I'm, I'm sorry that you have had to bear that. I'm sorry that, that you are experiencing something that was meant to be beautiful and now it's been made to be, to be sinful and to be painful. You need to know that, that God hates that sin just as much as you do. That he, he hears your cries, that, that he is there with you, and that he will vindicate the righteous. And he will fight for the oppressed. And so what, what I say today, if you're coming from that, that background, might be harder for you to hear because of those negative experiences that you've had. You, and I think understandably so, might be tempted to think that the only place that, that this submission that you're talking about leads to is sadness and hardship. But I do hope to show you that that's not, not all true. See, sinful people, it's sinful people who have taken and corrupted what God declared to be good and beautiful. And though it will be hard and will require a, a time of the Lord working to, to heal your heart, I encourage you not to just throw out everything that I'm going to say as, as misogynistic and, and woman-hating. This is, this is God's beautiful design for what marriage is meant to be. And then a second thing that I'm aware of is that even if you are in a good marriage, the natural tendency is to see these things of, of helping, submitting, and respecting in, in a negative light. Like somehow you're getting, you're getting the short end of the stick. I mean, your husband, he gets the, he gets the easy role of, of loving and leading his wife. And God is pretty much straight up just calling me to, to suffer. But I want to stop you right there because, because that's also not true. In fact, that's a lie. The feminists have been, have been blabbing this lie for many years, but it, it originates even, even deeper than that. See, the lie, the lie that, that this is somehow a second-tier uh, position that the Lord has, has called you to uh, comes from your own sinful heart. You see, the natural tendency of all human beings, whether you're, whether you're a woman or whether you're a man, is to, is to be the Lord of your own heart, to be the Lord of your own life. And that's why submission is, is almost always difficult for us. We want to be the ruler of our lives, but God says, no, you're no longer on the throne of your heart. I am. And you need to submit to my design. Now, I'm not saying submission is, is easy. It's far from it. I'm not saying that submission never involves walking a, a difficult path of suffering. It often does, especially 
in, in a marriage where your husband is not living up to his role of a leader and a lover after Christ. But what I am saying is that it is a lie. That God is, is somehow calling you as a wife to a lesser or a less fulfilling calling than your husband by calling you to help, to submit, and to respect. Think of it this way. If, if, if helping and submitting is truly the short end of the stick, then I wonder how the Holy Spirit feels. Is the Holy Spirit not called the helper? Or what about Christ himself? Jesus willingly and joyfully submits himself to his Father who is in heaven. It's too bad Jesus has been now relegated to tier two status because of it. No, biblical submission is truly beautiful. And God has given you that role not to burden you, but to free you and to allow you to truly flourish as he designed you to. And so, so resist that little devil on your shoulder, which is your flesh, telling you that you somehow have a lesser calling than your husband. It's not true. It's a lie. Okay, now with that, let's now get into our first, first point of the sermon. And that is that the, the role of a wife is to help. And we saw that in the passage that we read from Genesis. In verse 18 it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so we see right from the first pages of Scripture that, that Eve was made to be a helper for Adam and not for herself. Paul later affirms that uh, when he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8 to 9, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And so we see from the very beginning that the purpose God has made wives was to serve and to help their husbands. Her primary responsibility is to assist him, to, to support him, to come alongside him and under his leadership and authority as a partner helping him to fulfill the, ta- the task that God has given mankind. And that task we read about in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. To fill the earth with, with children and worshipers of God. And then to go and to exercise dominion over the earth. By domesticating it and by ruling over it. And husbands are to, to set this mission and direction for their families. Leading the way. And the wives are then to come alongside as their husband's helper to accomplish this. And this is an essential role. You know, it's not good that man is alone in his task. Man needs woman. Paul also says that later in 1 Corinthians. That man needs woman and that woman needs man. And so the role of a helper is essential. A husband cannot do this apart from his beloved wife and helpmate. And so you are called to be a helper. Now in terms of application, what does it look like to be a godly wife who helps her husband? Well, it's very difficult to boil it down to a set of tasks. You know, here, this is what you do, and then you're all of a sudden going to be a, a good helper. And the reason for that is because many of the situations that, that you will find yourself in are going to be different. They're going to be different depending on 
the stage of marriage that you're in. It's going to be different depending on whether you have children or don't have children. It's going to be different depending on uh, the age of your children or the ministry responsibilities that your husband is taking on. You know, I can't give you a, a list of, of do all these things and you're going to be a, a wonderful helper. Perhaps what you might need to do is, is simply ask your husband. You know, ask him, how can, I, how can I better help you? You know, how, can I, how can I make it easier for you to, to lead and to do your job better in this area? Now, I will give you uh, three kind of general areas in which uh, wives are called to be helping their husbands. Uh, and those three areas are, uh, they're called to help physically, they're called to help emotionally, and they're called to help spiritually. And believe it or not, it was my wife who helped me uh, think of these, these three uh, areas where women need to be helping their husbands. And so first, you need to be helping your husband physically. I didn't mean to insult Hannah there if I did by saying, believe it or not, she can actually think of, of good things. I'm meaning she's doing a great job at being my helper because I was stuck on this and, and she, she helped me. And so first, you need to be helping your husband uh, physically. And by that I mean with the physical aspects of living. You know, things like cooking, cleaning, doing the laundry, groceries, rearing your children, stewarding the finance as well, and all of the, the domestic chores of life. You know, in the book of Titus, Paul instructs the older women of the church to teach the younger women to be workers of the home, to be fulfilling their domestic duties in the home. And so part of your job as a helper is, is to take care of these things to free your husband to fulfill his God-given responsibilities. And so as an example, uh, you want your home to be a clean place. You know, a place where your, your husband is able to come home and, and relax and rejuvenate. It, should be, it, should be, it shouldn't be a burden for him to have to come home and do all of these, these extra tax tasks, but it should be a place of, of refuge rather than a place of greater anxiety and disorder. And, and by doing so, you're, you're helping your husband. You're, you're facilitating him in his mission. Or another way that this would apply of helping your husband physically is taking seriously the raising of your children. Again, in Titus 2, Paul instructs the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. And you do so, loving both of them, by taking seriously the responsibility of raising children while your husband is off providing. You are to instruct the children in the Word of God and in behavioral skills. You're to discipline them when they sin. You're to nurture and, and care for them and build them up. You're to teach them respect. You're to, you're to, to make sure that their physical needs are, are being met. Now, your husband is, is leading the way in many of these areas, but when your husband is gone, you need to make sure that that's, that's your priority. You are a helper towards your husband. And this does raise the, the controversial question, uh, what about, about women working outside of the home? And without opening up a whole kind of can of worms, uh, I'll say this. The Bible is not opposed to women working outside the home. Now, Proverbs 31, which we read earlier, talks about the excellent life, excellent wife as one who 
makes linen garments and sells them. So I don't think anyone can say that it's, it's wrong for a woman to, to, to work sometimes outside of the home. However, if this work is affecting or preventing you from fulfilling your domestic and maternal duties, then it is a problem. And you need to reevaluate your priorities in relation to that. You can't neglect the, the clear things that God has called you to. And so that's the first way we be a helper. We help our husbands uh, physically. A second way to be a helper to your husband uh, is to help him emotionally. Now we'll talk a little bit more about this later when we talk about uh, the, the topic of respecting your husband because that plays a huge role in helping your husband emotionally. But I do want to highlight a few things. And so remember, to be a helper is to be a, a supporter. And so you need to support your husband. Your husband needs support from you. He needs your encouragement. He needs, he needs your confidence in him and in his, his decisions and his, in, his, in his leadership of you. There's men that can be all macho and, and play it off like, you know, they're super confident. I don't care what anybody thinks of me, what... what those kind of guys. But for the most part, that's, that's just a facade. You know, a lot of men struggle with, with self-confidence and they need the affirmation of their wives. And that's especially true in the times that, that we're living in. You know, Christian men are, are in for a hard time if they're going to stand for the truth in our world today. And if wives are, are showing a lack of confidence in their husband's decisions or if they're, they're riddled with anxiety over them and how he's, how he's leading them, you know, it's, go, it's going to be a, a deep burden upon your husband. It's not going to help your husband at all. You know, wives, wives should tell their husbands more often that they trust his leadership. You know, I trust your leadership for this family, and I'm, and I'm proud, and I'm glad to be your helper. Or if he's, a, if he's a really big Lord of the Rings fan and, and you really want to please him. You know, when times are tough, you can look him in the eyes. And maybe Amy has said this to Kendall. I would have gone with you to the end into the very fires of Mordor. Uh, you need to, your husband needs to know that you, you've got his back. You're here to support him. You're here to help him. You're going to be with him through thick and thin. That's supporting him emotionally. And then a third way to help your husband is, is to help him spiritually. And when we read through church history, we see many great men who have, who have written these wonderful things and have done these wonderful things. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon. But what we often forget or what we don't necessarily see is that behind these men are, are wonderful wives who have, who have helped their husbands spiritually. And one of the main ways that you help your husband spiritually is that you need to, you need to pray for him regularly. Charles Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, would often ask his wife, Susanna, to pray for him. He once wrote to his wife in a letter saying this, I fear that I am not so full of love to God as I used to be. I lament my sad decline in spiritual things. You and others may not have observed it, but I am now conscious of it. And there is a, a sense of bitterness in my cup of joy. I shall feel deeply 
indebted to you if you would but pray very earnestly for me. And pray, Susanna Spurgeon did. Your husband, if he is leading according to God's calling for him to lead and how God has called him to lead, then he has got a heavy, heavy weight upon his shoulders. God is going to hold him accountable for his leadership of you and your family. The devil is often trying to sway him and to throw him off the path of righteousness as the leader of your family. And he desperately needs a wife who is going to pray for him. That might be what your husband needs the most from you. That you would, that you would lift him up in prayer. And now what can you be praying? You can pray for his spiritual gro- growth and for his closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can pray that he would resist the temptation to, to be a leader by his own strength apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You can pray for his wisdom and discernment as he leads you. You can pray for his protection against temptation and sin. And you can pray for his courage that he would take up the call of God for his life. And there's an endless amount of of other things that you can pray for depending on his situation. I know many wives who who struggle with the question of, of what is my purpose? You know, my, my life just seems so mundane and it seems so meaningless. I stay at home and I just do load after load of laundry. I clean, I, I cook food, I'm always changing dirty diapers and it just seems so, so insignificant. But I hope you see that it's not. You have a vital role to play as your husband's helper. You are assisting him and supporting him and you together are fulfilling the task that God has given mankind and he can't do it apart from you. Your, your role is very important. So now moving on to the second role of a wife. We see that she is called to submit. You can turn in your Bibles now if you're not already there to Ephesians 5 uh, verses 22 to 24 which I read earlier but we'll read again for us now. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. As I mentioned in the introduction, this topic of a wife's submission to her husband can understandably so be a difficult topic, uh, either because of someone else's sins against you, uh, but also we saw because of sometimes our own sin and our own desire uh, to, to, be, to, to not submit to anyone or to anything. And so I thought then it would be helpful if I clarify for us what submission does and does not mean according to the Bible. And so first, submission does not mean following your husband into into sin. And this should be fairly clear, uh, and yet some husbands will try uh, to abuse this. Paul says in verse 22 that wives are to submit as to the Lord. You see, submission is a good and beautiful thing. It's part of God's glorious and, and beautiful design for you and your marriage. But just as other good things, you take, for example, like 
like the desire for physical intimacy or, or the desire to eat food, just as those things can be taken and used for the evils of, of sexual morality or gluttony, so too headship and submission can be used for evil. And you need to, to for your husband to, to help you in his, in his sinning. And so you need to, to recognize that, that your submission is first and foremost to the Lord, as to the Lord, to Christ, and then it is to your husband. In other words, it's just, just like it applies to the government, it's not unlimited submission. We don't just do everything the government says. We first submit and obey our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it's the same uh, for wives to their husbands. And so if your husband commands you to sin or, or if he forbids you from doing something that God clearly commands you to do, uh, then you are not required to submit. And in doing so, you're actually going to be honoring your husband by honoring the Lord in that situation. And so if you do find yourself in a case where, where that is, is the case, uh, what you do is you respectfully communicate to your husband that you you love him, uh, that you do really have a desire to submit to his leadership over you, but that you cannot and you will not forsake the commands of your Lord and Savior. And at that point, if your husband is still unrepentant or your husband is still insisting upon you following after him in his sin, uh, then at that point, it, it might be time for the pastors and the elders of the church uh, to be brought in to help with that situation. And so submission does not mean following your husband into sin. Second, submission does not mean general submission uh, of, of all women to all men. In verse 22, Paul says, submit to your own husband. So it's not as though all women are called to submit to all men. There is a defined relationship of submission between wives and their own husbands within that special covenant bond of marriage. Wives, uh, the other wives of, of husbands here aren't required to submit to me in, in the areas of, of, of marriage or anything like that. It's not a general submission to all, to all men. Third, uh, submission does not mean that you are less valuable than your husband. And I, hope I've, I hope I've already communicated that very clearly, but um, I'll say it again. Men and women are are equal image bearers of God, and they are co-heirs of the kingdom of God. And any view that, that sees a submissive wife as less worthy of respect or less in value because of her position, it's not a biblical view of submission at all. And then fourth, submission does not mean you, you leave your brains at the wedding altar. I spoke in the last sermon how husbands are the captains of the ship and wives are the first mates. And any captain is a fool who does not listen or ask for the wisdom of his first mate. And if the first mate sees that, that the captain is, is leading his ship into an iceberg, she should speak up and she should try to influence her husband in a better direction, on a, on a better and wiser course. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, that wives, um, by their conduct, are to influence uh, their husbands. And then fifth, uh, submission does not mean slavery for the woman. It does not mean slavery for the woman. 
said this multiple times in the sermon, but biblical submission is a beautiful thing, part of God's good design. It does not enslave, but it actually frees a wife to be all that God intends her to be. Proper submission is not a burden, but a relief. Your husband has been given to protect you, to provide for you, to sanctify you, to help you flourish, to wash you with the word, to love you as Christ loves his very own church. That doesn't sound like like slavery to me. Submission to the servant leadership of your husband brings, brings a great and lasting joy that you wouldn't experience otherwise. And then lastly, submission does not mean only submitting when your husband deserves it. Just as husbands are to love their wives, even if their wives don't deserve that love, wives are to submit to their husbands, even if that husband doesn't deserve your submission. And we see this, for example, in 1 Peter 3, when Peter tells uh, tells believing women who are married to unbelieving husbands to still submit to their, to their husbands, even though their husband uh, is not going to be following or, or leading uh, as to the Lord. Or earlier in, in 1 Peter 2, this same principle is seen when, when Peter's talking to, to slaves. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And so we see that submission is not dependent upon the worthiness or the deservedness of a husband. It's our call to submit. And so now you know what submission does not mean. All of those things. Submission does not mean um, sinning. Submission does not mean submission to all men generally. Submission does not mean you're less valued than your husband. Submission does not mean you can't try to influence your husband with the wisdom that God has given you. Submission does not mean you are a slave. Submission does not mean only submitting when your husband deserves it. Those are all things that submission does not mean. So what does then submission mean? I can stand up here and tell you what, what ketchup is not, but you still want to know, well, what is ketchup? And so here's a definition of what biblical submission of wives to their husband means. Submission means this. Willingly and joyfully embracing God's divine call as a wife to honor, affirm, advance, and obey your husband's leadership as a reflection of the church's submission to Christ. Now read that again. Willingly and joyfully embracing God's divine calling as a wife to honor, affirm, advance, and obey your husband's leadership as a reflection of the church's submission to Christ. Now let's break that definition down a little bit. First, you honor and you affirm your husband's leadership. Paul calls the husband the head of his wife, and the wife needs to recognize and to affirm that. One very practical way that you do that is not by trying to be the leader of your household. You don't try and and usurp your husband's authority. And so this will involve things like running decisions by your husband before proceeding with them. Allowing him to make the the final call in certain circumstances. Not attempting to, to manipulate him into doing the things that you want. I think that's an important one. Sometimes wives, if, 
if they're having a hard time submitting to their husband, will attempt to manipulate him to get what they want. You know, they'll, they'll pout or whine or give him the silent treatment or, or attempt to use emotional force or slack at the duties that they've been given or, or withhold things from their husband until he yields to their demands and he, he changes his decision to meet, to meet theirs. But that's not biblical submission at all. That's called the spirit of Delilah who, who whines to Samson and says, how can you say that I love you when you won't give me what I want? You know, that's, that's not submission, that's manipulation. Your husband is the head of your house, not you. And, 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 and your husband didn't put himself there. He didn't, he didn't say, I'm deciding that I'm just going to be the head of the household, I'm stronger than you, and, and that's how it's going to be. No, no, God has put him there as the head of you and the head of your household. And so you need to, to, to work towards that because that's God's plan. And then one last quick note, uh, and for some people this isn't a challenge, um, but I, I left it in my sermon because I know for some people it, it might be. And so I thought I'd mention it, but, but submission means that your husband is now the, the primary male figure in your life. See, in marriage we are called to leave and to cleave. You know, wives leave the authority of their father's home and now they enter into the authority of their, their husbands. And practically that means you know, that you don't, you don't just go running to your father when, when problems arise. You know, he's not now your main spiritual, your spiritual head. Your husband is now your head and your spiritual leader. And so you go to your husband for advice. And if your husband gives you advice... Uh, you don't just go asking others because you, you don't like it. Now, if you really think that it's necessary that you and him seek out more advice because, because he's being led down a wrong path, then, then you can ask him that. You can say, hey, you know, I, I'm so thankful for, for what you've said here and, and how you think we should go in this. What do you think if we seek a second opinion uh, on this together? But if your husband says no, if he's being stubborn, uh, then I think you're required to, to earnestly pray for him to be softened and then to respect uh, his decision in that. And so that's the, the first uh, aspect of submission from our definition. The second aspect of submission uh, involves obeying your husband's leadership. To submit means to render obedience. The church, which is a reflection of this relationship, renders obedience to Christ. That's how we submit to him. And so if your husband asks you to do something around the house or, or to change maybe a parenting tactic with one of the children or, or has a direction for the family that he wants to lead you guys in, uh, you should obey him. It doesn't mean you just say, you know, yes, master, and, and, and you can't offer wisdom or advice into the situation. You, you should. And you should make sure that you do so respectfully if, if you see problems with it. But if he decides on something, even if you don't fully agree with it as the best course of action, submission requires you obey his decision. And then lastly, uh, submission involves willingly and joyfully embracing your call. In other words, submission is not only submission of, of your actions, your external duties, but it's a submission of your attitude as well. When the church submits to Christ, 
Christ expects us to do it with joyful hearts, not, not grumbling and complaining. In 1 Peter 3, Peter commands the women to, to let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And so if you as a wife want to adorn yourself with imperishable beauty like the woman of old, you submit with a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, gentle and quiet spirit is not uh, in reference to volume. You, know, you might be an extroverted girl who's, who's bubbly and who's outgoing. God's not calling you to just you know, be quiet and stop talking so much. No, it's a, it's a gentle and quiet spirit. It's one that is, that is calm. It's one that's not ruled by your emotions, but you have rule over your emotions. It's a, it's a woman who's not easily frazzled or frustrated and, and roused to anger, but who's self-controlled and, and gentle and, and kind and who joyfully obeys. And so I hope then that, that your takeaway from our talk about submission is that, is that you do see this as a goal that is worth pursuing. Yes, it's, it's difficult at times. Yes, it is going to involve dying to yourself on a daily basis. I mean, that is the Christian life. But it's not impossible. Done in, in the Lord's power and by the Lord's grace, it's how you glorify your Savior and where I truly believe that you will find contentment amid, even amidst uh, a chaotic marriage. Now moving quickly on to our, our final point, we see that the husbands, uh, we see that the wives' roles are, are to help, to submit, and then finally uh, to respect their husbands. And we see this in verse, for, for, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul kind of talks in this whole section and then at the end he wraps it all up and he gives a summary takeaway. And his summary takeaway for wives is that they need to respect their husbands. And that's really just affirming what the rest of the Bible says. Uh, we're told, for example, in Proverbs 12 verse 4 that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. She's the crown of her husband, something to to show off. But she who shames him or dishonors him, disrespects him, is like rottenness in his bones. And so a wife desiring to be obedient to God's calling on her, on her life is going to respect her husband. But you might say to me, Pastor Lucas, my, my husband, he's just not a respectable man. I just... I, I, I want to respect him, but I, I just don't respect the man. And you need to know that there's, there's two components to, to respect. There's the feeling of respect, and there's the action of respect. The action of respect is always required towards your husband. No matter how you feel about him, no matter how, how good of a job he's doing at leading and loving you, uh, you do need to show respect to your husband. You need to honor him. Now the feeling aspect is a little bit more difficult. You know, some husbands, they just, they don't command respect. 
but even then, even if your husband is, is, is not a man who commands respect, you should really be searching in obedience to this command for ways in which you can feel respect for your husband. And he's not a perfect man. But there must be, there must be something about your husband that you can respect. Maybe his hard work. Maybe his, his faithfulness to you. Even if, even if it's something as simple as, as the position that God has given him as the leader of your home, you know, try, and, try and find ways in which you can feel respect and focus on those things. If you focus on the areas you disrespect about, you, you don't respect about your husband, then you're not going to respect him more. And so try and focus on those rather than his faults and his failings. And you'd be surprised that oftentimes husbands, when they, when they do feel respected and they are being respected, start to live more respectable. Your husband knows that you respect him and the position that he has, uh, he's going to desire to do a better job at walking in that position. Now, I know women are, are very practical, and so I'm going to give you some do's and don'ts when it comes to respecting your husband. And I've got two of each that correspond to one another. First, to respect your husband, uh, don't denigrate your husband. Wives should be very cautious, uh, thoughtful, and gentle when bringing criticisms to their husbands. Despite what you might think, uh, it's not your job to point out every shortcoming, failure, or fault of your husband. There's a reason why we have this stereotype of a nagging wife. That's because wives often can fall into the temptation of being overly critical of their husbands. Where they're, they're always just finding faults and and telling their husband that he needs to be better and he needs to do better. It's no wonder. I mean, it's not an excuse, but it's no wonder that some husbands prefer to, to work hard and long hours rather than being home. Because when they come home, all their wives do is, is pick at them and, and criticize them. And this applies also to how you speak about your, your husband to other people. You know, rarely, rarely is it ever appropriate to criticize your husband to other people. Friends, parents, children, fellow church members don't need to hear about your spouse's blunders and problems and sins. Not only are you disrespecting him, but you're also causing others to disrespect him. And so unless you're you're talking to someone who is in in a legitimate position to actually help your husband in his in his failures and in his sins, like maybe a pastor or, or a counselor, then you really have, have no reason to be sharing his, his shortcomings with, with other people. It, a lot of time comes down to, to gossiping and, and you being disrespectful. Now, I don't want you to say, oh, Pastor Lucas says you're never allowed to tell your husband that he's doing anything wrong ever. No, that's not what I'm saying. Now, wives... Uh, part, part of helping your husband is to help him conform his life to the image of Christ. But what I am saying is that, that you need to make sure that you're doing so in a respectful way, a gentle way, with a courteous tone. You know, asking him, you know, would you, would you, cons- can you, could you consider again how you responded here? Could you consider uh, your thoughts, your behavior? And then encouraging him to, to seek biblical conformity in his life. And as I said earlier, if he, if he persists in his sin or in his folly and, and he doesn't want to do anything about it, then um, in a respectful way, you can bring that to the elders or the pastor of a church 
who can actually come and help with that situation. But for the most part, you know, I think wives can be a little, a little hard on their husbands, um, putting these, these extra pressures uh, upon him rather than doing what we're called to do, which is encourage your husband. So you don't denigrate your husband. Instead, you encourage your husband. Proverbs 14 verse 1 says, The wisest, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. See, respecting your husband is building him up, not tearing him down. And so wives should be encouraging to their husbands. They should be complimenting him. They should be showing your appreciation to him, vocalizing your respect for him. Just as wives want to hear their husbands say more often, I love you and, and this is why I love you. And then you tell them why you love them. Husbands want to hear more often their wives saying to them, I respect you and and these are the reasons why I respect you. And then an added benefit of that is that a husband who has an encouraging wife is going to be far more likely to receive that correction from her because he knows that she loves him and that she respects him and that she's correcting him because she respects him. And so that's the first do and don't of, of respecting your husband. Don't denigrate and over-criticize him. Instead, encourage and build him up. And the second do and don't is don't complain. Don't complain. The Proverbs has much to say about a complaining and quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21 verse 9. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Or Proverbs 27 verse 15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Think for yourself, wives. How much does it, does it bother you when your children complain and grumble about the task that you give them? Well, when you complain and grumble to your husband and when you aren't satisfied with your position, possessions, or tasks, it's the same thing. And so don't Don't grumble and complain. Instead, we are called to be content, to be satisfied and and thankful with the life that God has given you and that your husband has provided for you. You Don't go and be, be, be always comparing what other husbands buy for their wives or what other husbands do and provide for them. No, be thankful where God has you and who God has given you. Paul the Apostle could say as he's sitting in prison, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. Paul can be, be content sitting in a cold prison cell. We can be content in our marriages. And so make it an effort to, to serve your husband uh, with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience with your husband, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness to him, goodness and, and self-control. You know, if, you're really, if you are really struggling with something, you know, the first thing you should always do is, is go and, and check your own heart and make sure that your expectations are realistic, your desires are properly aligned, that you're not yourself in sin. And then if it's still on your heart, you can, you can gently let your husband know. And then entrust those things to the Lord. And take hold of Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, that's every situation, 
by prayer and, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so wives, as we close now, I, I hope that after hearing this message, that you are both encouraged and convicted. You know, encouraged that, that God has given you a very important and very fulfilling role in his wonderful design of marriage. But also convicted that you can be, you can be doing a better job at pursuing this. And the, the task before you is a challenging one. And if you, if you think that I can just you know, try harder and, and do better by my own strength, then, then I hate to tell you, but you're in for a painful, painful surprise. And I'll tell the wives the same thing that I told the husbands last week. You can't be, you can't be the wife that God calls you to be by your very own strength. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. See, you need the Lord's grace every day to do this. And you need to ask this for the Spirit's power to overcome that temptation that is going to rise up within you to want to serve the flesh. And perhaps the change that needs to begin even, even deeper down. You, know, you might have the desire to do these things, but you just struggle to carry them out. But, but perhaps you know, your heart is still at a point where your, your heart's just not in it. You know, maybe you've, you've heard what I said today and you're like, yeah, okay, I, I guess I'll, I'll do it because I know that God is asking me to do it, but I don't really want. I don't really want to do it. I don't really desire to do it. I'm tired. I feel broken. I've, I've tried in the past and my husband has abused my submission to him. I'm in a, I'm in a difficult marriage and it, it just feels hopeless. Well, the Lord's grace is the same solution for you. Remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon? We are free to not be, to not wallow in, in, our, in our shortcomings and in our difficulties and our trials. You know, we can run to our Savior. You can run to your Savior with all of your struggles. You, know, you can admit to him and be honest with him that you don't have a desire to serve your husband in this way. You can admit that, that you are struggling to respect him. You can, you can admit that it's, it's hard to submit. You can pour your, your heart out to the Lord and then when you see his grace and you see the love that he offers you in your struggles, you can ask him to heal and to change your heart. Ask him to, to soften you to your husband. Ask him to remove that, that resistance that is rising up within you. Ask him to cover you with his grace and ask him to give you contentment in the chaos that rages around you. And he will answer. And he will give you the strength to walk the difficult path that he himself walked when he was on earth. And so I just want to finish our time by, by reading a few verses again from Proverbs 31 uh, to hopefully encourage you to pursue this good and noble task of an excellent wife. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates.
Let me pray. <laughs> Dear Lord God, we thank you so much that we come to you as a redeemed people. Lord, that we are not coming to you and, 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 and we are people who uh, are, are sitting in our own guilt and in our own shame because of our failings, but that we come to you knowing that all of that has been nailed upon the cross of our Lord and Savior. And that we can, we can come and we can run to you, Lord, knowing that we are forgiven of our failings and our, and our faults, and that you, God, will strengthen us and you will empower us to do what it is you have called us to do. And we also thank you, God, and would you continue to remind us that you are a good God and that your design for marriage is good and that the things that you institute are, are good and that uh, you do not mean us harm or difficulty, but you have given us the key to what it means to flourish in our marriages. And so I pray for us as husbands and wives, Lord God, that we would, uh, we would, Seek this pattern in our lives. And Lord, that we would not do so by our own strength and our own power, but that we would do so and walk in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.